Chapter Eight of Jeremy by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight to Cow Farm. One. This next episode in Jeremy's year has, be it thoroughly understood, no plot nor climax to it. It is simply the chronicle of an odyssey nor can it be said to have been anything but a very ordinary odyssey to the outside observer who if he be a parent will tell you that going to the seaside with the family is the most bothering thing in the world and if he is a bachelor or old maid will tell you that being in the same carriage with other people's children who are going to the sea is an abominable business and the law ought to have something to say to it all through may june and july mrs cole slowly pulled back to something like her natural health the new infant barbara by name was as strong as a pony and kicked and screamed and roared so that the house was quite a new place her arrival had done a great deal for helen whose gaze had hitherto been concentrated entirely upon herself now she suddenly discovered a new element in life and it was found that she was ideal with a baby and a good help to nurse this made her more human and barbara realizing as babies always do who understands and who does not would behave with helen when she would behave with no one else mary could not be expected to transfer her allegiance from jeremy and then barbara was frightened at her spectacles jeremy having hamlet did not need a baby there came a fine hot morning towards the end of july when miss jones said suddenly in the middle of the history lesson saturday week we go to raphael jeremy choked kicked mary under the table and was generally impossible during the rest of the morning it was miss jones's fault she should have chosen her occasion more carefully before the evening jeremy was standing in the corner for drawing on his bedroom wallpaper enormous figures in the blackest of black lead these were to mark the days that remained before saturday week and it was jeremy maintained a perfectly natural thing to do and didn't hurt the old wallpaper which was dirty enough anyway and mother had said long ago he should have a new one meanwhile impossible to describe what jeremy felt about it each year cow farm and raphael had grown more wonderful this was now the fifth that would welcome them there at first the horizon had been limited by physical incapacity then the third year had been rainy and the fourth ah the fourth there had been very little the matter with that but this would be better yet for one thing there had never been such a summer as this year was providing a little rain at night a little breeze at the hottest hour of the day everything arranged on purpose for jeremy's comfort and then although he did not know it this was to be truly the wonderful summer for him because after this he would be a schoolboy and as is well known schoolboys believe in nothing save what they can see with their own eyes and are told by other boys physically stronger than themselves five or six days before the great adventure he began to worry himself about his box two years ago he had been given a little imitation green canvas luggage box exactly like his father's except that this one was light enough to carry in one's hand 
jeremy adored this box and would have taken it out with him had he been permitted on all his walks but he had a way of filling it with heavy stones and then asking miss jones to carry it for him it had therefore been forbidden but he would of course take it with him to cow farm and it should contain all the things that he loved best at first all the things that he loved best had not seemed so very numerous there would first of all of course be the hottentot a black and battered clown for whom he had long ceased to feel any affection but he was compelled by an irritating sense of loyalty to include it in the party just as his mother might include some tiresome old maid because she had nowhere to go poor thing after the hottentot there would be his paint-box after the paint-box a blue writing-case after the writing-case the family photographs father mother mary and helen after the photographs a toy pistol after the pistol hamlet's ball a worsted affair rendered by now shapeless and incoherent after the ball alice in wonderland mary's copy but she didn't know after alice her baby after her baby the prayer-book that aunt amy gave him last birthday after the prayer-book some dried flowers which were to be presented to mrs monk the lady of cow farm this might be called carrying coals to newcastle after the flowers a bible after the bible four walnuts very dry and hard ones after the walnuts some transfer papers after the transfer papers six marbles the box was full and more than full and he had not included the hammer and nails that uncle samuel had once given him nor the cigarette case innocent now of cigarettes and transformed first into a home for walking snails second a grave for dead butterflies third a mouse-trap nor the butterfly net nor struopater nor the picture of queen victoria cut from the chocolate box nor most impossible omission of all the toy village the toy village what must he do about that obviously impossible to take it all and yet some of it he must have mr and mrs noah and the church perhaps or no mrs monk would want to see the garden it would never do not to show her the orchard with the apple trees and then the youngest miss noah she had always seemed to jeremy so attractive with her straight blue gown and hard red cheeks he must show her to mrs monk and the butcher's shop and then the sheep and the dogs and the cows he was truly in despair he sat on the schoolroom floor with his possessions all around him only helen was in the room and he knew that it would be no use to appeal to her she had become so much more conceited since barbara's arrival and yet he must appeal to somebody so he said to her very politely please helen i've got my box and so many things to put into it and it's nearly saturday already and i want to show the noahs to mrs monk this would have been a difficult sentence for the most clear-headed person to unravel and helen was at that moment trying to write a letter to an aunt whom she had never seen and for whom she had no sort of affection so she answered him rather roughly oh don't bother with your box jeremy can't you see i'm busy you may be busy said jeremy rising indignantly to his feet but i'm busy too and my business is just as good as yours with your silly old letter 
oh don't bother said helen whereupon jeremy crept behind her and pinched her stocking a battle followed too commonplace in its details to demand description here it need only be said that hamlet joined in it and ran away with helen's letter which had blown to the ground during the struggle and that he ate it in his corner with great satisfaction then when they were at their angriest helen suddenly began to laugh which she did sometimes to her own intense annoyance when she terribly wanted to be enraged then jeremy laughed too and hamlet yielded up fragments of the letter so that all was well but the problem of the box was not solved and in the end the only part of the toy village that mrs monk ever saw was the youngest miss noah and one apple-tree for her to sit under two the ritual of the journey to cow farm was by this time of course firmly established and the first part of the ritual was that one should wake up at three in the morning this year however for some strange mysterious reason jeremy overslept himself and did not wake up until eight o'clock to find then that every one was already busy packing and brushing and rushing about and that all his own most sacred preparations must be squeezed into no time at all if he were to be ready old tom collins's bus came along at twelve o'clock to catch the one o'clock train so that jeremy might be considered to have the whole morning for his labours but that was not going to be enough for him unless he was very careful grown-up people had such a way of suddenly catching on to you and watching your ears or making you brush your teeth or sitting you down in a corner with a book that circumnavigating them and outplotting them needed as much nerve and enterprise as tracking red indians when things were fined down to the most naked accuracy he had apparently only two jobs one to accustom hamlet to walking with a lead the other to close the green box but of course mary would want advice and there would in all probability be a dispute or two about property that would take up the time it was indeed an eventful morning trouble began with mary suddenly discovering that she had lost her copy of alice in wonderland and rushing to jeremy's box and upsetting all jeremy's things to see whether it were there jeremy objected to this with an indignation that was scarcely in the sequel justified because mary found the book jammed against the paint-box and a dry walnut nestling in its centre she cried and protested and then suddenly with the disgusting sentimentality that was so characteristic of her abandoned her position altogether and said that jeremy could have it and then cried again because he said he didn't want it then jeremy had to put everything back into the box again and in the middle of this hamlet ran off with the red-checked miss noah between his teeth and began to lick the blue off her dress looking up at the assembled company between every lick with the smile of the loveliest satisfaction then when the box was almost closed it was discovered by a shocked and virtuous helen that jeremy had left out his bible there'll be one there said jeremy in an angry agitated whisper hoping to escape the attention of miss jones what's that jeremy dear said miss jones oh fancy miss jones said helen he's taking all his dirty old toys and even his old clown and he's leaving out his bible 
i'm not cried jeremy taking it and trying to squeeze it down between three walnuts and the toy pistol oh jeremy dear that's not the way to treat your bible i'll give you some paper to wrap it up in and you'd better take the things out again and put it in the bottom of the box yes obviously he would not be ready in time the matter of hamlet and the lead was also very exhausting hamlet had never in all his days been tied to any one or anything of course no one could tell what had been his history before he came strolling on to the coal horizon and it may be that once as a very small puppy he had been tied on to something on the whole that is probable his protests on this occasion being of a kind so vehement as to argue some reminiscences behind them mrs cole had bought a beautiful lead of black leather of course he had already a collar studded with little silver nails and the point was very simply to fasten the lead on to the collar jeremy had been promised that he should conduct hamlet and it had seemed when the promise had been made as though it would be a very simple thing to carry out hamlet no sooner saw the cord than he began his ingenious protests sitting up and smiling at it suddenly darting at the recumbent miss noah and rushing around the room with her finally catching the lead itself in his teeth and hiding with it under miss jones's skirt the result was that tom collins bus arrived when no one in the schoolroom was in the least prepared for it then what confusion there was mrs cole looking strange in her hat and veil as though she were dressed up for a play came urging them to hurry because father was waiting then hamlet tied himself and his lead around the leg of the table then mary said in her most tiresome manner apropos of nothing at all you do love me jeremy don't you just at the moment when he was trying to unlace hamlet and her lip began to tremble when he said oh don't bother so that he was compelled to add of course i do then father came running up the stairs with really this is too disgraceful we shall miss that train then uncle samuel appeared looking so queer that jeremy was compelled to stare at him jeremy had seen very little of uncle samuel during these last months he had hoped after that wonderful adventure of the christmas pantomime that they were going to be friends but it had not been so he had been away somewhere in some strange place painting and then on his return he had hid himself and his odd affairs away in some corner of the house where no one saw him he had had his life and jeremy had had his nevertheless jeremy was delighted to see him it would be fun to have him at cow farm with his squashy brown hat his fat cheeks his blue painting smock and his short legs with huge boots he was different in some way from all the rest of the world and jeremy even at that early stage of his education already perceived that he could learn more from uncle samuel than from any other member of the family now he put his head in through the door and said well you kids aren't you ready it's time then seeing miss jones he said good morning and bolted like a rabbit even then jeremy noticed that he had paint on his fingers and that two of his waistcoat buttons were unfastened then down in the hall what confusion there was 
boxes here there and everywhere mother father aunt amy uncle samuel and most interesting of all barbara and the new nurse the new nurse was called mrs patcham and she was stout red-cheeked and smiling the bundle in white called barbara was most happily sleeping but hamlet barked at mrs patcham and that woke barbara who began to cry then collins came in with his coat off and the muscles swelling on his shoulders and handled the boxes as though they were paper and the cook and rose and william the handy boy and old jordan the gardener and mrs preston a lady from two doors down who sometimes came in to help all began to bob and smile and father said now my dear now my dear and hamlet wound himself and his lead around everything that he could see and helen fussed and said now jeremy and miss jones said now children and last of all colin said now mum now sir and then they all were bundled into the bus with the cart and the luggage coming along behind the drive through the streets was of course as lovely as it could be not in the least because any one could see anything that was hindered by the fact that the windows of the bus were so old that they were crusted with a kind of glassy mildew and no amount of rubbing on the window panes provided one with a view but because the inside of the bus was inevitably connected with adventure partly through its motion partly through its noise and partly through its lovely smell these were of course jeremy's views and it can't definitely be asserted that all grown-up people shared them but whenever jeremy had ridden in that bus he had always been on his way to something delightful the motion therefore rejoiced his heart although the violence of it was such that every one was thrown against every one else so that uncle samuel was suddenly hurled against the bonnet of miss jones and helen struck aunt amy in the chest and jeremy himself dived into his sister barbara as to the smell it was that lovely well-known one that has in it mice and straw wet umbrellas and whisky galoshes and candle grease dust and green paint jeremy loved it and sniffed on this occasion so often that miss jones told him to blow his nose as to the noise who is there who does not remember that rattle and clatter that sudden deafening report as of the firing of a hundred firearms the sudden pause when every bolt and bar and hinge sighs and moans like the wind or a stormy sea and then that sudden scream of the clattering windows when it is as though a frenzied cook having received notice to leave was breaking every scrap of china in the kitchen who does not know that last maddened roar as the vehicle stumbles across the last piece of cobbled road a roar that drowns with a savage and determined triumph all those last directions not to forget this that and the other all those inquiries as to whether this that and the other had been remembered cobbles are gone now and old buses sleep in deserted courts and collins alas is not his youngest son has a motor garage and polchester has asphalt sic transit gloria mundi jeremy clutching his green box with one hand and hamlet's lead with the other was in an ecstasy of happiness 
the louder the noise the rocking motion the stronger the smell the better isn't it lovely he murmured to miss jones during one of the pauses it may be that it was at this moment that uncle samuel finally made up his mind about jeremy in spite of his dislike even hatred of children he had been coming slowly during the last two years to an affection for and interest in his nephew that was something quite new to his cynical egoistic nature it had leapt into activity at christmas time then had died again now as flung first into his sister's bony arms then on to the terrified spectacles of his niece mary he tried to recover himself he was caught and held by that picture of his small nephew seated solid and square in his blue sailor suit his bare knee swinging his hands clutching his precious box with an energy that defied fate itself to take it from him his mouth set his eyes staring radiant with joy in front of him on arrival at the station it was found that the one o'clock to lascaine was just about due so that there was no time to be lost they had to rush along under the great iron dome passing by the main line disregarding the tempestuous express from trucks that drew up as it were disdainfully just as they passed and finding the modest side-line to lascaine and st lo here there was every kind of excitement for jeremy any one who has any kind of passion for observation must have discovered long ago that a side-line has ever so much more charm and appeal about it than the main line a main line is scornful of the station in whose heart it consents for a moment to linger its eyes are staring forward towards the vast cities who are impatiently awaiting it but a side-line has its very home here so much gossip passes from day to day above its rails and gossip that has for its circumference five green fields a country road and a babbling brook that it knows all its passengers by heart to the people who travel on a side-line the train itself is still something of a wonder how much more was that true thirty years ago on this special line there were only two stations liscane and st lo and of a certainty these stations would not even now be in existence were it not that st lo was a fishing centre of very great importance the little district that comprehended st lo garth in roselands stoop in roselands lucent polwent raphael and all the smaller hamlets around them was fed by this line but even so the little train was never crowded tourists did not and even now do not go to poent and st lo because they smell so fishy nor to raphael because it's too far from the railway nor to the roseland valleys because there's nothing to see there may these reasons hold good for many years to come Today there were three farmers in brown leggings with pipes and thick knotted walking sticks two or three women with baskets and a child or so and an amiable absent-minded clergyman in a black cloth so faded that it was now green reading the times and shaking his head over it as he stumbled up and down the platform one of the farmers had a large woolly sheep-dog who of course excited hamlet to a frenzy 
jeremy therefore had his time fully occupied in checking this but he had nevertheless the opportunity to observe how one of the farmers puffed the smoke out of his cheeks as though he were an engine how one of the women with a back as broad as a wall had red stockings and how the clergyman nearly fell on to the railway line every time he turned around and only saved himself from disaster by a miracle the train arriving at last they all climbed into it and then had to wait for a hot grilling half-hour whilst the engine made up its mind that it was worth its while to take all the trouble to start off again an hour late upon my word said mr cole angrily when at last with a snore and a heave and a grunt and a scream they started it's really too bad i shall have to complain which as every one present knew he had not the slightest intention of doing in jeremy's carriage there were his father his mother uncle samuel himself mary and of course hamlet hamlet had never been in a train before and his terror at the way that the ground quivered under him was pitiful to see he lay under the seat trying to hold himself tightly together then when that failed he made startled frenzied leaps on to laps the lead had been removed for the time finally he cowered up into the corner behind uncle samuel who seemed to understand his case and sympathized with it whenever the train stopped which being a glebeshire train it did continually he recovered at once his savoir-faire asserted his dignity gazed through the windows at the fields and cows as though he owned them all and barked with the friendly greeting of comrade to comrade whenever he saw another dog the next thing that occupied jeremy's attention was lunch many people despise sandwiches and milk out of beer bottles and bananas and seed cake jeremy of course did not he loved anything eaten out of paper from the ice-cream sold by the barney man at bolchester square only once did he secure some down to the frills that were round the tail of any self-respecting ham but the paper on this journey to raphael there was nothing in the world to touch it in the first place you spread newspaper on your knees then there was paper under the sandwiches chicken and more paper under the sandwiches beef and still more under the sandwiches egg there was paper round the seed cake and most wonderful at all a paper round the jam puffs jam puffs with strawberry jam eaten in the odour of ginger beer and eggshells is it possible for life at its very best to hold more he kept his jam puff so long as he could until at last mr cole said now my boy finish it up finish it up paper out of the window all neat and tidy that's right speaking in that voice which jeremy hated because it was used so especially when a cod liver oil had to be taken he swallowed his puff in a gulp and then gazed out of the window lamenting its disappearance did you like it whispered mary hoarsely you've got some jam on the side of your nose said jeremy he was sitting next to his father who had the corner seat and he now devoted all his energies to prevent himself from falling asleep against his father's leg 
but the ginger beer the glazed and shining fields beyond the window the little blobs of sunlight that danced upon the floor of the carriage the scents of food and flowers and the hot breeze the hum of the train and the dancing of the telegraph wires all these things were against him his head began to nod and then to jump back with a sudden terrible spring as though an evil demon pulled it with a rope from behind the carriage swelled like a balloon then dwindled into a thin straight line the strangest things happened to his friends and relations his mother who was reading the church family newspaper developed two faces and a nose like a post and uncle samuel who had in harsh reality two chins seemed to be all folds and creases like a balloon when it is shivering down into collapse jeremy fought with these fantasies the lines on the newspaper doubled and redoubled vanished and sprang to life again he said i will not and instantly his head on the soft part of his father's thigh was asleep three in his dreams he was riding on a cloud all pink and gold and behind came a row of shining white clouds fluffy like bales of wool wrapped round lighted lanterns his cloud rose and fell rose and fell and a voice said in his ear all is well all is well you can go on like this forever there will be jam puffs soon and ice cream and fish cakes and you can go to china this way whenever you like and he said can't i take hamlet with me and the voice answered hamlet is with you already and there behold was hamlet sitting on the pink cloud with a stiff gold collar around his neck wagging his tail and then the voice shouted so loudly that jeremy jumped off the pink cloud in his astonishment liskane 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 and jeremy jumped and fell and fell right into his father's lap with someone crying in his ear wake up jeremy we're there we're there his first thought was for his green box which was he found safely and securely in his hand then for hamlet who was he saw with horror already upon the platform the lead trailing behind him like a neglected conscience his burning eyes piercing his hair in search of another dog whom he smelt but could not see jeremy rushing out of the train seized the lead scolded his recovered property who wore an expression of injured and abandoned innocence and looked about him yes this was liskane wonderful marvellous magical liskane to the bored and cynical adult liskane may easily appear to be one of the ugliest most deserted stations in the whole of europe having nothing on either side of it save barren grey fields that never grow grass but only stones and bottles with its single decoration a heavy iron bridge that crosses the rails and leads up to the higher road and the town of liskane ugly enough but to jeremy on this summer afternoon the gate to a sure and certain paradise although his family were fussing around him barbara crying mr cole saying four five six but where's the black box your black box amy uh, six seven but there should be eight seven and mrs cole saying and there's my brown bag the little one with the black handle 
and helen saying oo was it adidums din nandy pandy nandy pandy and miss jones now mary now jeremy now helen although this was going on just as it always had gone on his eyes were searching for the wagonette ah there it was he could just see the top of it beyond the iron bridge and jim the man from the farm would be coming down to help with the boxes yes there he was crossing the bridge now with his red face and broad shoulders and the cap on the side of his head just as he always wore it jeremy recognized him with a strange little choking sensation it was coming home to him all this was the great event of his life and as he looked at the others he realized young as he was that none of them felt it as he did and the realization gave him a strange feeling half of gratification half of loneliness he stood there a little apart from the rest of them clutching his box and holding on to hamlet's lead feeling so deeply excited that his heart was like a hard cold stone jumping up and down bump bump behind his waistcoat that's jim that's jim he whispered in a hoarse gasp to miss jones now mind dear she answered in her kindly groping voice you'll be falling on to the rail if you aren't careful it strangely annoyed him that his father should greet jim just as though he were some quite ordinary man in polchester he himself waited in a strange agitation until jim should notice him the man turned at last bending down to pick up a box saw him touched his cap smiling a long crooked smile and jeremy blushed with happiness it was the first recognition that he had had from the farm and it pleased him they all moved up to the higher road uncle samuel coming on at the last in a dreamy moody way stopping on the bridge to look down at the railway line and then suddenly saying aloud their minds are full of the number of boxes and whether they'll get tea and who's to pay what and how badly i want a wash and already to-morrow they'll be wondering whether they oughtn't to be getting home to polchester all sham all sham he wasn't speaking to jeremy but to himself however jeremy said did you see jim uncle no i did not he's fatter and redder than last year i shouldn't wonder are you going to paint uncle i am what oh just lines and circles jeremy paused standing for a moment and looked puzzled then he said do you like babies uncle samuel no i do not not even barbara no certainly not i don't too why don't you paint cows and houses like other people uncle samuel i heard father say once that he never knew what your pictures meant that's why i paint them why so that your father shan't know what they mean although he did not understand this any more than he understood his uncle jeremy was pleased with this conversation it had been somehow in tone with the place and the hour it had conveyed to him in some strange fashion that his uncle cared for all of this rather as he himself cared oh he liked uncle samuel he had hoped that he might have sat on the box next to jim but that place was now piled up with luggage so he was squeezed in between his mother and mrs patcham with hamlet very uncomfortable between his knees 
they drove off down the high road the hot smell of the grass came to his nostrils the sun blazed down upon them turning the path before them into gleaming steel and the high glebeshire hedges covered with thin powder rose on both sides above them breaking once and again to show the folding valleys and the faint blue hills and the heavy dark trees with their thick black shadows staining the grass the cows were clustered sleeping wherever they could find shadow faintly sheep bells tinkled in the distance and now and then a stream like broken glass floated cried and was gone they drove into a dark wood and the sun scattered through the trees in pieces of gold and shadowy streams of arrowed light the birds were singing and whenever the hoofs of the horses and the wheels turned onto soft moss or lines of grass in the sudden silence the air was filled with birds voices that proved that it must now be turning to the evening of the day the sun was not very high above the wood and the sea of blue was invaded by a high galleon of cloud that hovered with spreading sail catching gold into its heart as it moved they left the wood crossed the river garth and came out on to moorland here for the first time jeremy smelt the sea the lanes had been hot but here the wind blew across the moor with the smell of sea-pinks and sea-gulls in it the grass was short and rough the soil was sand on the horizon was the grey melancholy tower of a deserted mine some bird flew with swiftly driving wings crying as it went the smell of the moor was as fresh as though the foot of man had never crossed it deserted but not alone bare but not empty uninhabited but peopled silent but full of voices jeremy's excitement grew he knew now how every line of the road would be they left the moor and were on the road leading to raphael these were the days before they built the road from liskane wide enough for motor-cars and other horrible inventions thirty years ago the way was so narrow that the briars and ferns brushed your face as you passed and you could reach out your hand and pluck snapdragons and dandelions and foxgloves many roads twisted in and out upon one another the corners were so sharp that sometimes the wagonette seemed to hang upon one wheel as it turned still no sight of the sea but the smell of it now was everywhere and sometimes at a sudden bend there would come a faint beat beat upon the ear with something rhyming and measured in it like the murmur of a sleeping giant they came to the bend where the hill suddenly dips at a fearful angle down into raphael here they turned to the right deep between edges again then through a little copse and then as though with a whisk of the finger right on to cow farm itself it was an old square house deep red brick with crooked chimneys and a stone court in front of it to either side of the court there were barns behind the house thick trees clouded with green showed in the middle of the court was a pump and all around the flagged stones pigeons were delicately walking as they drove up the pigeons rose in a wheeling flight against the sky now staining faintly with amber dogs rushed barking from the barns a hay-cart turned the corner its wheels creaking and four little children perched high on the top of the hay 
then the hall door opened and behold mrs monk mr monk and clustering shyly behind the little monks in the scene that followed jeremy was forgotten he did not know what it was that made him hang behind the others but he stood beside the wagonette bent down and released hamlet and then waited hiding under the shadow of the cart his happiness was almost intolerable he could not speak he could not move and in the heart of his happiness there was a strange unhappiness that he had never known before the loneliness that he had felt at liskane station was intensified so that he felt like a stranger who was seeing his father or his mother or aunt or sisters for the first time everything about him emphasized the loneliness the slow evening light that was stealing into the sky the sound of some machine in the farmhouse turning with a melancholy rhythmic whine a voice calling in the fields the rumble of the sea the twittering of birds in the garden trees the bark of a dog far far away and through them all the sense that the world was sinking down into silence and that the sounds were slipping away like visitors hurrying from the park before the gates are shut he stood there listening caught into a life that was utterly his own and had no share with any other he looked around and saw that they were all going into the house that jim and mr monk were busy with the boxes and that no one was aware of him he knew what he wanted he slipped across the court and dropped into the black cavernous hole of the farther barn at first the darkness stopped him but he knew his way found the steps that led up to the loft and was soon perched high behind a little square window that was now blue and gold against the velvety blackness behind him this was his favorite spot in all the farm here all the year they stored the apples and the smell of the fruit was thick in the air sweet and strong clinging about every fibre of the place so that you could not disturb a strand nor a stone without sending some new drift of the scent up against your nostrils all the year after his first visit jeremy had been longing to smell that smell again and now he knelt up against the window drinking it in with his eyes he searched the horizon from here you could see the garden with the sundial the fields beyond the sudden dip with the trees at the edge of it bent crossways by the wind and there in such a cup as one's hands might form just beyond was the sea he stared as though his eyes would start from his head behind him was the cloudy smoke of the apple scent in front of him the sun was sinking towards the dark elms soon the trees would catch the sun and hide it the galleon cloud that had been over them as they drove was now banked in red and gold across the horizon birds slowly lazily fled to their homes he heard someone call jeremy jeremy with a last gaze he saw the blue cup turn gold the sun reached the tops of the elms the fields were lit with a glitter of shining glass then even as he watched they were purple then gray then dim like smoke again the voice called jeremy he slipped from the window found the little stair ran across the dusky court and entered the house End of chapter eight